If you have your Bibles, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you need a Bible, there's a couple on that table over there. Feel free to go and grab one of those. And if last week speaking on tongues wasn't controversial enough for you, we thought we would add to the controversy today and talk about women not speaking in church. That's right, a lovely chapter here. Don't you just love this book? Um, we left off in verse 25, and we're picking up in verse 26. And, and before we go on, because Paul is going to, again, bring some clarity of what needs to be done concerning the gifts, specifically that of tongues and that of prophecy. The gift of tongues we talked about last week is speaking in a language that others do not understand. We looked at that language being either a language that is actually a dialect that is here on earth, that of men, or possibly even being that of angels, as it speaks about in Corinthians 13, chapter 1. We talked about that they, there is a sing with understanding, a singing with spirit, and I shared my view on how these two diverse types of tongues, as he talks about in chapter 12, the diversity of tongues, how I believe these two different types of tongues actually bring clarity to that passage in chapter uh, 14 earlier where it says tongues are a sign not to the believers but for the unbelievers, which we saw in chapter 2 of Acts. But then we saw also that if a non-believer comes in and you're all speaking in tongues, he's going to say you're whack, you're crazy. He says mad, but it, you know what I mean. Um, and we see that depends on how that gift is being utilized, either one of those could be true, depending on how it plays out. So we talked about that, and we explored and talked about some of these issues, and we talked about how controversial this is. Well, he goes on after talking and exclaiming just that God is really among you because prophecy has taken place. And in verse 26, he says, What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. The purpose that we gather together, as we talked about last week, was that the whole of the church could be edified, built up, strengthened. And that's been Paul's goal throughout this entire book. The reason he dealt with diversity and that problem that they were having with this disunity, this confrontation, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, whoever they were trying to associate themselves with, Paul is saying Christ is not divided. And if you guys are causing divisions, you're going against what is the heart of God, which is to build up and strengthen you need to deal with the sin that is there. You need to be compassionate to those who need compassionate. You need to, in all things, edify one another. Your freedom isn't a license for you to do whatever you want. What about your weaker brother, your weaker sister? Just because you have freedom to eat food, sacrifice to idols, doesn't mean you should. Just because you have that freedom doesn't mean it's going to build up the body. I would rather not eat meat at all if it would cause someone to stumble. Think about that. That's a heavy thing to say. It is for me. You know, I'm, I'm not a vegan. I, I need that meat. It would be a tough thing. I will give up in and outs forever if it will cause you not to stumble. It, it's an important thing, and the whole point Paul is bringing to this point is we've got to care about each other more than you do about yourself. And so now he's saying when we come together, there's a purpose. It's to strengthen the church, but notice the involvement. I used to think that this verse was a rebuke. Come on, you guys get together and everyone's doing their own thing. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying when you do come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. In other words, everyone is contributing something, but there is a goal to what we're contributing. And that is strengthening each other. That is building each other up. That is to help the church as a whole. Now, when you read this, and, and this scripture should be one that you underline. 
because this is our responsibility verse here. This is saying when we come together, we're supposed to contribute something. Tony contributed a song, actually five. But we were supposed to contribute by singing along. In other words, this wasn't Tony's audition. This isn't American Idol. You know, Tony, okay, the judges are going to hear what we say. This, we're going to vote, 1-800-01. You know, that's, that's not what's happening. We're not going to vote Tony off next week. <laughs> he's, he's the only one here right now. So uh, <clears throat> he's contributing. We're joining in in that. When we gather together, do you give a word of instruction? Well, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm teaching. I'm giving words of instruction. How about a word of a revelation? That would mean revealing something. Maybe God puts something on your heart about someone that you share with them. You know, I was sharing with you or we were talking. Mike came and talked to me uh, just before we got started here about his mom, who he prayed for Monday, who's going through uh, some test to see if she has cancer, and it looks like possibly she will. And so he's kind of sharing those things with me, and, and if God were to give me a word of wisdom, a comfort, a scripture I could share with him, maybe I didn't get one, but maybe you have one. It's not up to me. I'm not the only one who's a part of this. In fact, what's kind of challenging here is it seems like everyone is a part of this. Everyone's supposed to contribute something. So what you guys got? And I say that kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek, but really, what do you bring to give? And it's not like you have to prepare a lesson. It's not like you have to, you know, practice singing. Tony does. I have to prepare. But you have to come prepared to give and not just come to receive. Now... Let me ask you guys, how does that make you feel when someone tells someone like me, tells someone like you that you need to come here and to contribute? Does it bring up questions? Does it bring up fears? Does it bring up silence? <laughs> what, is, what do you guys think? Encouragement. Encouragement? ready to step into a situation, pray with someone, talk to someone, encourage someone, to participate with something. You see, once again, we are entering into this place where we don't go to church, we are the church, where we make up the body of Christ, which Paul has been talking about through these past verses, past chapters, from 12 to now, he's talking about we all contribute. We are gifted for edifying the whole. And if you don't see yourself in that way, then you don't maybe feel comfortable in talking, sharing with someone. You don't feel adequate. I don't know what to say. As if you have to have it scripted out. You still have the Spirit of God in you. We, we talked about that. You've been baptized into the body of Christ. You, you have the, the essence of Christ now permeating into your life because his spirit indwells in you. So you have what is necessary to contribute. And so this is an encouragement to us to contribute, to give. And, and I know things get structured in such a way so that we feel, well, no, that's your job. You sing, you talk. We listen and eat cookies and coffee afterwards. <laughs> but the whole idea is, no, we all eat cookies and coffee afterwards, and we all contribute. And so save some afterwards. <laughs> now, speaking of this and, and the idea of coming together, and he lists a number of things to, that you give. Everyone has a hymn. Uh, and, and I think that's what congregational singing does to a large part. When everyone sings... I know that when I'm leading worship and I hear people singing, it blesses me. If I'm singing and I'm the only one singing, it 
frightens me. Uh, is that right, Tony? That's kind of how it is. It's like, okay, they're not singing. Why not? You know, they don't know the song. I'm singing it wrong. They just don't like me. What's going on? You know, but when everyone is involved in singing, it encourages not only the person singing, but those around you. Because now they hear you singing. I can sing too. I can get involved singing. Have you ever been into a large auditorium where they're worshiping? It's amazing. I've been able to go to a couple of conferences for worship leaders where there's like 2,000 worship leaders and they're all belting out songs and you've got three-part harmonies going on all around you and you've got the person from the Black Gospel Church breaking out in ad-libs over here, you know, just kind of going for it. And it's, it's an amazing thing. It's just amazing when everyone is singing, they're contributing. And what a powerful thing that is for us as the body to recognize that we can encourage each other in these areas. And he lists a few, and I think they encompass a lot. The singing, the instruction, the revelation, or a tongue and with it an interpretation. Now, tongues, that unknown language or dialect that... Paul has talked about. He, he talks about a little bit further. And in verses 27, he starts and he gives some guidelines for that that I think give us insight to what was happening in the Corinthian church. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. And so he gives some guidelines for this gift. He tells us that two or three are to speak, but then they're to stop. It, it doesn't mean that they, that's all that can speak, just two or three, but they need to take turns. And if someone's speaking, then they need to stop and give place for the interpretation. So he gives some limits to how many can speak out. He tells them they're to take turns one at a time. And then he says that there should be someone to interpret or else, in verse 28, you need to be silent. If there's not someone to interpret, then you shouldn't speak out. Because no one's going to get anything out of it. When we go down to Vizcaino, and I've been a part of that pastor's conference down there, I go down there and I've been able to teach the last couple of years and with some others who speak English and have an interpreter. But there are a couple of guys who don't need an interpreter. There's a gentleman, Gerson, he's out in San, uh, Santa Ana area and he speaks Spanish fluently and so he gets up there and he starts talking. I haven't a clue what he's saying. But it must be good because they're like laughing, they're into it, you know, and I'm just looking at the people. And I'm like, what's he saying? What's he saying? This is the worst Bible study I've ever heard in my life, you know, because I understand absolutely none of it because I don't speak the language. I'm not getting it. I'm not understanding. They are. It benefits those who understand. Those who don't means nothing. Paul is saying, if you speak in an unknown tongue and no one understands it, it doesn't help anybody. Now, what do you think from these verses was taking place that Paul is addressing? Why do you think Paul is bringing these kinds of restrictions and guidelines to this gift? What does it seem like was taking place? Confusion, free for all. Just kind of, yeah, making themselves known. Saying that whatever they want to say. Have you guys ever been to a church where these guidelines aren't being followed? <laughs> Any of you guys? I think we all have. I, or a lot of us have, where we've gone into the church and you're like, holy moly, you know, what's going on here? And everyone is speaking out in a tongue or they're singing and they're carrying on, whatever it is. You know, there might be some tambourines involved. You know, whatever's going on, this is breaking out and you're just sitting there and you're like, I don't get what's going on. I, I don't understand what's happening here. And 
that's the situation that Paul talked about last week where if a non-believer comes in, he's going to say, you're all crazy. I don't understand what this is. And so Paul seems to indicate through these verses and these guidelines that the opposite of these things were happening. In other words, it wasn't just a few people. It was a lot of people. And they weren't doing this one at a time. They were doing it all at the same time. And there wasn't an interpreter. And no one was keeping silent. So there's this boisterous, festive time where no one is getting anything out of it except for maybe the music is good. Maybe that's what's happening. And they like the, the groove of the bass. You know, whatever it is. That... They're not actually gaining instruction, insight. They're not being ministered to by God because they don't understand what's taking place. Now, these guidelines, it's amazing, especially as we go on. I want you to think about the churches who don't listen to Paul's instructions here, but how they listen to other areas of Paul's instruction. In other words, it's pick and choose what you like. And it's a curious thing how some people can take some and then just discard the others. He goes on. Let me stop there. Are there any questions just about what Paul's mentioning there? Do you have any questions regarding what Paul is trying to present and why he is saying these things in these verses? Nope. Crystal clear. Okay. Boy. The entire history of the church was in this room. We would have all the questions answered right now. Okay, let's continue on. In verse 29, he says, Two or three prophets should speak, and the other should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And so now he's talking about prophesying. We talked last week also about prophesying is declaring the words of the Lord. We saw examples of that in the book of Acts with Agabus who talked about a famine that was going to come. He talked about Paul being bound with his belt, and this is what was going to happen, how he prophesied what was going to happen to Paul. But it's not only foretelling, it's forthtelling. It's not only declaring something that's going to happen, it's declaring what God wants the people to know. This is what God would say to us, and it doesn't have to be just a future tense. This is what God wants to give us right now. And so these are areas, and now Paul gives some more guidelines here. And from these guidelines, what do you think was happening? Why is Paul giving these guidelines? I mean, he's telling them that two or three should speak. They should weigh each other out carefully to see what they're saying. One should sit down while one's standing up speaking. And if the other one's done, the other one should sit down. What do you think he's trying to tell them to do? Keep it in order. Don't you get the impression that this was just a party? That these Corinthians were just going to town. They were just all wanting to be heard. They were all wanting to stand up. They were all posturing for the attention, for the spotlight. Have you ever seen singers that are competing for the spotlight? You know, where one's singing and then one tries to out-sing the other. One steps in front of the other. They're kind of like trying to butt each other out of the way, trying to, I'm going to take the stage. No, I'm going to take the stage. You almost get that impression here, that this was a matter of a show. And so Paul's saying, you know what? Listen, weigh what somebody is saying. If everyone's speaking, how can you weigh it out? If everyone's just blabbering and saying this and that and this and that, who has time to stop and say, I don't think that was right. Which one? The one about five minutes ago from that person over there. Someone that corner said something that was off the wall. Something about balloons and elephants. I don't know what it was. You know, it just came out of that corner and it wasn't, if you don't have order, there's no way to stop and tell what's going on. And then he says, if you're sitting down and you get this prophecy, the person who's standing up needs to stop 
And then you stand up and speak. And then he gives this another scripture that you should have marked down. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. If someone ever says, I don't know what came over, the spirit came over me and I lost control, you can quote this scripture. Well, I don't know what spirit that was because here in the scripture it talks about the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That means you're in control. You don't go into some trance, your eyes roll back, you know. I mean, that looks cool on TV, but that's not what God is talking about. You're in control. There's never a time where the Spirit of God takes you and you don't know what happens. I couldn't stop myself. I just had to tell you that. And again, that's something that people do to try and make themselves sound spiritual. God just told me. You're supposed to go out with me on a date. I don't know. It just came to me. I couldn't help it. I just had to ask you. Don't fall for it. My wife didn't. I had to try something else. <laughs> you are in control. And the idea of control is something that's very important. Paul is trying to bring out here that God is not a God of disorder or it might say confusion, but he's the God of peace. And I love disorder and peace. I love how he says God's not confusing. He's not messed up and disorderly. He's a God of peace. And so there has to be a purpose to what's taking place. When we gather here, it's supposed to build us up in our relationship to God. And that's what we want to happen. And there's a million ways to do that. I mean, there really are. We're doing it here in this building. It's not a formal church building. People do it at coffee shops. People do it at warehouses. People do it all over the place in various different ways. And it's got a lot of room for freedom. This isn't restrictive by any means. There is so much that you can still do that would fit and work in this area. And so it's not there to limit us to be very restrictive. It's just there to give us guidelines so that we don't get out of control. Which is, again, an amazing thing. It's like you want to ask these people, what do you think Paul is saying here when everyone is speaking and singing and speaking in tongues and, you know, doing the whole thing down the aisles? You know, it's like that Blues Brothers, they're doing the cartwheels down there. Just, what, what's going on here, guys? What's happening? And Paul, what is he talking about here? He's talking about just all these things. Now, verse 33 continues, but it really should have stopped with peace because the next portion kind of finishes the chapter. And this is where we get to have some fun and deal with some controversy. Um, it says, as in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. Any questions about that? Only guys can talk about. No. Um, <laughs> they are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husband at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? That's sarcasm there. If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Okay. Before we tackle this, I want to ask you guys some questions. And women, you're allowed to answer the questions. You're not wearing your head coverings, so it's okay. And that was talked about in chapter 7. If you were there Sunday morning, that was another fun chapter. Um, what have you heard? And what do you think Paul is saying here? All the ladies are quiet. I'm not going to speak. <laughs> yes, Sam. Okay. That women were not supposed to teach men. And so you think this is pointing towards that. 
Okay. What else? Mike. Yeah, they'd have the men sitting on one side, the women sitting on the other side. And so the women weren't supposed to speak because it would cause confusion. But then were the men allowed to speak? Just throwing that out there. Yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts, what you've heard? Okay. It does talk about that, and he even <coughs> mentions that here. Turn with me to chap. Go ahead. The law doesn't say anything about woman not speaking, but it does say that a woman is to be in submission. So it's referring to the submission part because there's nothing in the law that says the woman's not supposed to speak, um, which is key there because that's kind of part of where we're going with this. Um, turn to chapter 11. We talked in chapter 7 and we, we talked a bit in chapter 11, um, or chapter 11 actually, when we talked about the head covering for the women. We talked about the culture of the Corinthian church. We talked about the covering of the head was something that was very important because the prostitutes at that time would go around with their head uncovered and Paul was trying to say, you guys, you're going to be ashamed to your husband if you're walking down the street or into the church with your head uncovered because now you're basically dressing like a prostitute. I know trust is like, really? But that happens. Culturally, there's, there's a big difference here. But we're also going to look contextually because I don't think we should just depend on the culture and go and interpret just by culture. We need to interpret by context. But we know that culture is a very important part of any church, of any society. My son was in Dubai, Saudi Arabia. And as he was walking there, all the women have veils. There was a young girl that didn't have a veil. She, her covering wasn't there and it was down. And one of his marine buddies was walking by and looked at her and goes, wow, that girl's hot. He's a marine. That's what they say about every girl they see if they haven't seen any for a while. And so he says, that girl's hot. Well, the girl was walking with her supposed mother. Her mother looked at her and smacked her upside the face for not having her veil on. I mean, it wasn't a little love tap. She smacked her good. Slapped her right across the face, and the guy's like, oh, dude, did I do that? You know, he felt bad because she just got smacked. That's their culture. If, you'd, if you go to Dubai, and you're walking, and you might have a sweater on, even though it's 115 degrees out, your face isn't uncovered, and you're holding hands, guess what? You're showing too much affection in that culture. And so you need to be careful. And that happens even when you go to Israel in some of those areas where it depends on the culture. If you're there and you've got, you know, just a, a sleeveless shirt, ladies, it could be considered not being modest. To us, it'd be like, no, that's modest. That's, are you kidding? We know what unmodest is. Boy, but that's modest. But in that culture, it is something entirely different. And so we are dealing with a culture that was very much dealing with problems with the ladies and with the prostitution that was taking place and with women's place in society. And so it's important to recognize that. In chapter 11, verse Two, he says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. Now, we talked about what that meant, how 
It was an interesting order that Paul presents these things, that it wasn't just there's God, then there's Christ, then there's man, then there's woman. He, he kind of mixes the order up a little bit, but he's trying to show positions. But what I want to key on here is in verse 5, and every woman who prays or prophesies will stop there. She prays or prophesies. Where is she praying or prophesying? Is it just not in church? Or was it something that took place in the church? If so, what is he talking about in chapter 14? What is he trying to get to in that aspect? And what is the point that he's trying to reach in this area? Verse 13 of chapter 11. He goes on and he says, Judge for yourself, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Now I know we're focusing on the head uncovered part. We dealt with that in chapter 11. I hope we don't have to go back over that. Is it okay for her to pray? Go down to verse 16. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. In other words, we're, we're trying to hold to an order that all the churches are holding to. We're setting some principles that is being recognized. Now, is it that nowhere the ladies are allowed to pray in church or to speak in church? And the idea of prophesying we talked about is teaching. So, what we have to deal with here is is Paul dealing with the fact that women aren't allowed to pray and teach in church? Or is he talking about something else? I believe that he's talking about something a little bit different in that he's trying to deal with a position that the women are holding. And specifically, he's trying to deal with how their place of submission in controversial issues is to be held. Why do I say that? Because he's talking about them going home and asking their husbands. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husband. We've just gotten off this whole speaking in tongues and prophesying and being in order. What if she has questions about this? Well, I think I want to make something known. He's saying she needs to take the controversial or those questions home with her, talk to her husband, resolve those things at home, not there in the church. I don't want the wives to be a part of the focus in the church service. He didn't want that in chapter 11 with their heads uncovered because of what it was thought of. And I believe he's doing the same thing here because of what it is thought of in the area of submission. If the wife starts going and saying, well, I have a question about this, then I was going to say, Sam, get your wife in line. I've tried. You know, and I just want you to have that picture in Dubai of that woman getting smacked, a girl, just because her face was uncovered. And imagine now that girl is in church and she starts speaking up. Now you get an idea of the culture and how things are presented there. And so if this wife starts going, hey, I have a question. I want to talk about this and I want to talk about this. She's not being submissive to her husband. Everyone's going to look at the guy and say, man, get your wife in order. You need to deal with this. Because she's causing this turmoil because she's bringing attention to herself. It might be that her questions are legitimate, but at that time and in this place, it is causing a it's going to cause people to get upset. Now, we can't, and let me say this, that there's basically those two are the, the two most primary ways of interpreting the scripture are, one, women just can't pray and women can't talk in church, period. End of story. Or what I mentioned just now, that it was the idea of them presenting and basically taking away from the idea of submission. And that's why, as you said, the law, you know, talks about submission. This is what the scriptures say. And it has to do with how it is looked on the husband. Those are basically the two ideas or the two main ones of how you interpret this scripture. But I do want to talk about, because why not? Why not talk about controversial things? We should. Women speaking and teaching in church. 
We saw in chapter 11 that women pray and prophesy. What is prophesying? It's bringing forth God's words. What does that mean? We saw in Acts chapter 21, uh, verse 8 and 9, it says, Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So here he has four daughters that are prophets. Um, Galatians chapter 3 tells us there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. If we're all one, are we all one sometimes, but not all the time? Now, I'm presenting out one point of view. I'm going to present out the other just to mix you up. Um, in Titus 1.5, elders are to be the husband of one wife. So here an elder is supposed to only have one wife. Wives don't have one wife. Only husbands do. 1 Timothy 2.11, it says, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. There's that word submission again, which I think is an important context to what we're dealing here. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But woman will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness with propriety. Okay, we all get the, you know, okay, silent Adam first created Eve, was deceived, but then he throws this woman will be saved through childbearing thing in there. It's like, you know, wait a second, what, what was that from? He just kind of throws that and it's like, I thought you were talking about this and now you're talking about this. And it's enough to make us think he's talking about something specific here. He's got something in mind that is deep-rooted, and it's not just a matter of, you know, simple, this is allowed, this isn't allowed. There's something natural taking place on here that talking about the woman deceived and now childbearing, it's part of a natural thing. It's not just a cultural thing. There seems to be that implication. Before I go on, what do you guys think? And you're open. If you can, I want to hear your views. I'm not going to shoot them down. I'm going to share with you what Genesis holds and our views and what I believe the scriptures teach. But I'd like to hear some of your thoughts just on these things that I've mentioned to you. How do you resolve them? How do you put them together? Do you see them as conflicting, complementing, confusing? Just to keep the C's there. What do you guys think? Well, some people believe that. I know that she teaches at other conferences where there's men and women speaking, but she deals with women specifically. She feels that that is her ministry, which she does very well because she opens up and shares very freely things that are appropriate for women, more appropriate, I would say. But I know that she does speak at other conferences where there are men and women there. And I think that's part of, I think, I think she tries to steer away. I mean, this issue here is you've got both sides of the spectrum. You've got some churches that won't allow women to speak and you've got women pastors. You've got both parts. Now, Beth Moore does not consider herself a pastor. And again, she tries to focus her ministry towards women. And I think she does so because she knows of the controversy and she's trying to be effective in what she's doing. Yes? Um, the things that I've heard, I mean, I've heard her teach subjects. Yeah, she actually teaches about certain things, so it's not just a testimony. And, and now, okay, let me ask you this question. Okay, so when does a testimony not actually give instruction? Like, is it okay to give a testimony but not teach? Is that really what the scripture is saying? It's like, 
A woman, well, she might be able to talk in church, but she's better careful that she doesn't actually teach you something. You see what I'm saying? It's like, because usually when you're... <laughs> yeah, I'm learning something. Get off the stage, you know. Yeah, Cindy. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, and you could take that. I mean, I, I kind of josh, but yeah, even into the scholastic thing with professors. You know, do you go to school and your professor is a woman? Oh, I can't listen to you. You know, or is it only spiritual things? You know, there's a lot of questions that come about just when you start pulling some of these things. And if we don't talk about them, just like you said, and I think it's good for you to say, you know, are we teachable? Can a woman actually give instruction that a man can receive? And, you know, Beth Moore is a great example because she is so gifted. And I know the videos that I sat and listened to, I'm blessed by them. You know, I, I, I think she's, you know, she called me up and said, hey, can I share something at your church? No, Beth, you know, I really, I'm sorry. Women aren't allowed to that position. You know, are you kidding? I... I'd be happy to have her come and share something here at the church. But I think you did also touch on a, another point, having that a position of authority is different than a position of just teaching. Oh, no, you didn't raise your hand? <laughs> Good thing we weren't bidding, are you? Arnie. That's, we saw that with Deborah. That took place in the Old Testament. Um, she was a judge. You know, in the book of Judges, we see Miriam, who was a prophetess, an <coughs> exodus, a uh, leader, and Micah. And so we see women being utilized in Scripture in various degrees. We, we saw um, that God used the prophetess Huldah, even though Jeremiah and Zephaniah were prophets at the time to spark a great religious revival during the reign of King Josiah. Um, God predicted through the Old Testament prophets the coming of long-expected day of the Lord when the Spirit would be poured out on both men and women. We see women were there in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit came upon them, and they spoke out with tongues and were prophesying, just like Joel talks about. Uh, Jesus was very inclusive to women, Women were very much a part of his circle of friends, those who were very close to him. Um, Paul in Romans 16 comments to his sister Phoebe, who was a servant, and that word servant means a deacon. It's the same word that's used. A deacon uh, of the church in, I forget, Centuria or something. Um, and, and so that, when you see that she was a deacon or a, a servant and someone who had this position, when Paul said, or yeah, when Paul tells us in Titus that uh, elders should be the husband of one wife, well, Paul and Barnabas weren't married, so does that mean they were excluded? Or in other words, maybe he's giving a, a different purpose than just saying it's a man. Maybe he's saying it can't be a man who has a bunch of wives, you know. But it's not exclusive to men who aren't married, so maybe it's not exclusive to women as well. In other words, maybe a woman could have a position as a deacon. There seems to be an area of authority that Paul is concerned about giving to women. We see that in Timothy, where he talks about Timothy. We see it here and in chapter 11 in Corinthians, where there's, there's a danger. And some of that danger is... is obvious. Some of it is apparent just because of the predator nature of men. Um, if a woman is in a place, she can be put in a position where men will try and prey upon her. And that's why the idea of a head and submission to your head is an important thing. So that guys aren't trying to pick up on her, so to speak, or trying to control her or even bully her. You know, there, there are more women that get abused and raped than men. Why? Because men are able to. 
and just knowing that is something that we should be aware of. We can't be ignorant to how some men are and how men take and use their position, their strength, their ability to control to try and dominate a situation. There are times when we hear that we are to live with our wives as according to the weaker vessel. doesn't say just the weak vessel, but weaker. It means weaker in what ways? Physically. And when you say emotionally, you kind of get things stirring, but weaker doesn't necessarily mean not a good thing. My wife is more emotional than me, but that's a good thing because I tend to be emotionless sometimes. And so that emotion, though, can be considered or preyed upon and used as a weakness. And so there's all these areas where there is this vulnerability that seems to be a part of the woman's nature. Physically, maybe a little bit emotionally in some ways, that Paul wants to protect, that God wants to protect, to make sure that she is safe and that it isn't abused or isn't being misused. But with that being said, I don't see what we're reading in chapter 14 as that women cannot pray in church, cannot speak in church, because we saw in chapter 11 they already pray and prophesy. We see in the book of Acts, we see Paul talking about a woman who is in this position of a deacon. We see women who are participating in the work of Christ in a lot of ways. But the culture will also tell us when that is too much. When she needs to put on the veil, so to speak. When she needs to be careful. If you go into some of those, you know, uh, nations down in the Egypt, Saudi Arabia, those things, it's going to be a different ballgame. It's going to be a different ballgame there, especially in the terms of the church. And you have to be aware of those things, just like you have to be aware of the dress. If you go to Dubai, you have to be covered. You go to the Philippines, it's a different story. It just depends where you're at, how you adapt to those things to minister. What is the point be effective, strengthen, and build up. So, what is Genesis's position? I don't know. No, um, <laughs> I am open to women teaching. I don't think a woman should hold the position of a pastor. That's my position. How that looks and how that takes place, it will vary. Like I said, if Beth Moore wanted to come share, I'd let Beth Moore come share. I'd gladly bow to Beth Moore. Here you go, you know, take, take the music stand. It's all yours, you know. I don't have a problem with a woman teaching. I do have a problem with a woman being in a position of pastoral authority. That's where I am at right now, and that's how I see these things and play that. I don't know of any of the ladies in our church who would want to step into the role and actually teach. Most of them are like, no, thank you, that's okay. And it's an uncomfortable thing. And you know what? I respect that dynamic of our fellowship. I'm not going to put someone in a place that's uncomfortable for them. And I'm not going to put someone in a place that others will be stumbled by. And I don't know the makeup of Genesis entirely where if I had a woman go up on a Sunday morning start teaching, some people would be like, uh-uh, I'm out of here. And so that's not in my plans anytime soon. I know if I asked Corrine to do that, she would, she would move out and go live with her parents in Temecula or something. <laughs> she wouldn't want that role. And I wouldn't want to put that role on anybody. That's... That's where I'm at right now. I don't have the idea to put anyone in that position, but I don't think the scriptures are opposed to a woman teaching. But I do see there being an issue in that area of pastoral authority. That's where I'm at. And it's not cut and dry exactly where what is what. And so we have to kind of dance with this one and see where it goes and how we move along with that. I have been tremendously blessed by a number of women who have been in teaching ministries, um, whether it's Beth Moore, um, whether it was, there was a couple of others, um, 
Rick Warren's wife, I don't remember what her name is. She spoke at a worship conference. Kay, yeah. Powerful, powerful. I remember Chuck Smith talking, and actually Chuck, when I was over at Calvary Chapel in Alhambra, there was a Chinese church that started that had a woman pastor that was a Calvary Chapel. And Chuck said, yes. And why did Chuck say yes? Chuck, I thought you were against that. Well, not in this case. I guess the Chinese group needed a church and there was a woman who was going to be the pastor. And Chuck Smith said, okay. I also remember at a pastor's conference in Lake Tahoe, pa Pastor Chuck was speaking about how he went to this one church hoping to just get built up and just encouraged in the Lord. And this woman pastor came up and all the people, all the pastors that were there started laughing. Oh, a woman pastor. And then Chuck went on and said how much she blessed him and how refreshed he was by this woman pastor. And all the pastors shut up and said, I thought you were joking. And so Chuck has received from women pastors. And even though I don't know if Costa Mesa has had any women speak over their pulpit. I know they had women speak on the stage and share things. But I know Pastor Chuck has received from a woman who was a pastor at another church, whatever church it was, he didn't say. And so I respected him for sharing that. I respected him for being open. And I think all the other pastors there were like scratching their heads going, wait a second, I thought we didn't go for that. But you're the one who started this, and you're going for that. How does that work? Those are the things that we balance, and we, we, I don't think there's a place for us to be dogmatic in this, but we do have to hold to convictions and things that we feel are right. These are our convictions. We're not going to put a woman at the pulpit, um, especially right now as things seem uncomfortable, unless there's a purpose involved that would be beneficial for all of Genesis. I don't think a woman should have a position of pastoral authority. There's just something there in, in Timothy that Paul is talking about that has to do with not just culture, but has to do with nature of a woman being deceived, the childbearing. It's part of how the woman is um, that Paul seems to want to guard and protect. And I respect that, and I'm going to do the same thing as best I can. Um, so that's kind of where we are at that. And at the end of you know the verse and the chapter, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. That gives you a whole lot of room of what you should and shouldn't do. You see, a fitting and orderly way is going to look one way here. It's going to look another way in Dubai. It's going to look another way in the Philippines. It's going to look another way in... Los Angeles, maybe, you know. I mean, it could be just a different way. It gives you a lot of room. It's really what's going to be beneficial to the group, and we do want to respect what the scriptures say. Any questions on what I just said? Any challenges? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I've heard some things from women also, you know, in that position that have been very good. Um, again, I think I would be hesitant to ordain a woman as a pastor um, myself. I, I, I just would have, a, I'm not there yet, or I don't know if I'll ever be there. You know, I don't want to say yet as if that's what's going to happen, but um, I, I respect still when I've heard those things. It's like, okay. I do want to be open. You know, God used Deborah. Um, and what if they didn't listen to her? You know, someone had to step up and she did. You know, God has spoken through these women prophets. And what if, you know, Priscilla wasn't there for Paul? Um, you know, these people who were a part of the church who contributed in a powerful way. I mean, if you're not open to those things, it, it, you're the one who's going to miss out. You know, when Kay Warren spoke at that worship conference, what if I would have got up and left? Oh, no, I can't listen to her. I was tremendously blessed. I was challenged. I was, you know, encouraged tremendously in my faith by the things that she shared. I mean, she was hard-hitting. Boy, she didn't pull punches. She really kind of took all us 
worship leaders to the woodshed, you know, and just really let us have it in a, a good way and very articulate, very loving, very Christ-like. Um, and so I, I'm open to receive, even like, you know, you're saying when you sit down and listen to Beth Moore, I, I like to hear Beth Moore, you know. I just want to hear her ahead of time so I can use her illustrations before <laughs> she does. Um, I love that thing with the vine wrapping around the last yeah, one. That yeah, that was beautiful. Um, I don't know if that answers the question, but I mean, I, right now I wouldn't ordain a woman into the pastor, but I would, I, I know what you're saying. I've been the same way. It's like, oh, there's a woman doing the service. And that's because how I've been brought up too. It's like, oh, that's not allowed. Yeah, you have to be able to receive it. And just because, well, in the instance at Alhambra, this church called us, I was with Xavier in Alhambra, and they called us and asked if they could use our place. And Xavier said no because he disagreed with a woman pastor, mm -hmm. even though Chuck put the pastor there. And so you had Chuck saying yes and Xavier saying no, and they're from the same church. You know, it was this kind of dynamic. But you know what? I respected Xavier for holding to his convictions. It's like I, I, I'm happy with that. It's like I didn't say, dude, Chuck's going to get mad at you. You know, Chuck didn't. And I think Xavier had to do that because that's how Xavier saw the scriptures, felt with them. That's his convictions. And if he would have went against that, it would have caused problems with him and those who he's taught that way. Chuck didn't have a problem. You know, Chuck is coming from a more Pentecostal background where that is a little bit more tolerant in Foursquare especially. Uh, what's her name? Started the Foursquare, wasn't it? Yeah, Amy Simple McPherson. Simple person. Uh, well, and yeah, society has changed, and, and you've got to understand, too, what Paul is dealing with here is pretty extreme. The fact that women were speaking in a church or praying in a church was pretty amazing. Well, the whole idea was that if she was supposed to have the covering and the long hair was also a way of saying that it's part of who she is. You know, if they have that, you should get the CD from when I did Chapter 11 because I try to touch on that pretty thorough. Just even the structure where he talks about, you know, God is the head and Christ, he doesn't put them in that order. He says, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. So he starts with Christ and then man, and then the head of the woman is man, and then the head of Christ is God. It's like if he was trying to make order, why wouldn't he start with God? He starts with Christ, man, man, woman, then God. He, he's not trying to bring this kind of, this is how everything plays out. He, he's just trying to show submission to the one who is above you, but not trying to say, in creation, it's God first, woman last. You know, that wasn't his point. Well, he, he's showing our submission. Christ was submitted to God, but he was God. You know, he, but that was his position. That was his role. He fulfilled his role by being in that position. A woman fulfills her role by being in that position, but she's equal to man as far as spiritually in every way. There is no difference to Jew, Greek, Gentile, free. And again, in, in our society, you know, and I think especially in California, this is something that can be uh, a deal breaker with some people who are very liberal. You've got a lot of people who are very women rights uh, motivated oriented and I'm not saying we cave to women's rights but we don't want to throw up unnecessary problems and I think scripturally there is a lot of freedom that's given to women that we can talk about and can share with that might help take away some of the stereotypes that some people have with the church. Oh, the church, you know, they're against women. Well, no, you know, this is what we see the role of women. We have these people who are teaching. They're doing these kinds of ministry. They're doing this, this, this. Here's what women are allowed to do, you know, instead of saying, well, yeah, women can't do that. Well, you have just being wise in how we deal with our culture, just in California. California is different than, you know, perhaps Oklahoma. I don't know, never been there. Don't plan on going either. Um, anyway, does that make sense, though, just identifying with where we're at? You know what? 
if the if I was clear that the scriptures say that women should not do something, then I would stand up and say, okay, I'm good with that. But there is enough going on here to see that there is permissible things given to women in the areas of teaching, in the areas of praying, in the areas of ministry in the church and throughout the nation of Israel. There is enough given for me to say it, it was okay for this at that point, but there's definitely some things that Paul seems to want to protect. Well, a lot of priests, yeah, I mean, the Anglican, or not the Anglican, the, um, anyway. There's a lot of churches that have women priests now. <laughs> no, I can't teach you. The Bible says. <laughs> it's true, and that, you know. What do you do in that circumstance? I mean, that's such a natural. What mother isn't going to teach their children, even when they don't ask for it? You know, <laughs> you're still going to teach them. Yeah. Yeah, and you're supposed to encourage them in the Lord. You know, you're supposed to speak to them day and night, those things. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> Any other questions? Thoughts? That clear where we're at, where we're standing? Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, that's kind of what I'm touching on when it talks about the weakness and it talks about her being deceived and having a covering, a protecting. Um, all that goes in together, I think. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's one of those things. You got to be careful when you start talking emotions. You know, <laughs> women are more emotional than men. It's like, well, you don't know this guy, you know, because um, I know some guys that man, they'll t they'll take the cake, <laughs> uh, and it's the other way around where you know the wife is the stable one and the guys, you know, where would man be without woman in the garden? <laughs> <laughs> Joking, just joking. had to combat that remote mark, <laughs> although it's true. <laughs> Was there another question or? Well, I, I think you need to respect your conviction, you know, and especially, you know, you not having a husband over you, I think you're going to have to be more careful in that area, just more because you are, in a sense, more vulnerable to what could happen in those things. And so I think that sensitivity might even just be the Holy Spirit, you know, prompting and, and guarding and protecting you. And by all means, I think you should, you know, follow that. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, well, and that's a great thing. And again, those are the areas where you have to be careful. I started discipling Corrine and ended up marrying her. You know, it was a ploy all along. I, I, I just wanted to marry her. I wasn't worried about discipling her. Uh, no, I, I cared some. Um, but no, I, I think those are, that's wisdom. Word of knowledge or word of wisdom is when God gives you, what I believe it is, is when God gives you insight into a situation. You know, if you're talking to someone, I'm talking to a guy, and I have this understanding that, you know what? you're involved in a relationship that you shouldn't be involved in. As I'm talking to him, that comes to my thought, and I then feel like God has just given me information. That's a word of knowledge about this person. And so I'm able to share with him, well, you know what? If you're involved with a relationship that you shouldn't be in, you need to break it off. And he goes, oh, my gosh, you know, I've been, you know, flirting with this lady at work or whatever it is. That's a word of knowledge. Prophecy, again, I think is more as instruction. Or, you know, it could be actually foretelling some event. I think it encompasses both the foretelling and foretelling. I mean, when I kind of teach scripture, that's taking a prophetic role. That's the role of instructing, teaching. No, it definitely can be one-on-one. -on -one. You know, it, it's, I think the idea of pastor-teacher 
are linked together because a pastor now has the group setting and he needs to be able to bring instruction. But a lot of people are giving gifts that they can teach and they're not in a group setting. I think that happens all the time and it should. Yeah, that'd be a word of wisdom or word of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would think that would be a word of knowledge. You know, prophecy would be saying, well, I guess it could go into prophecy that you're going to be okay. Or, you know, that's kind of foretelling what's going to happen. But yeah, those are things you want to hold on to. Well, that was fun. <laughs> well, let's close in prayer because it's getting late. Should have known. We're talking about women. And it goes long. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd end it on that note. Uh, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that was, I appreciate the questions. Actually, it's, it's good. Uh, good conversation, but let's pray. Father, as, even as we joke, Lord, just about the differences between men and women, we are aware, God, that you have created us with purpose. And, Lord, our purposes are even more glorious than we recognize, God, and you use us in our diversity. And I pray, Father, that we would not limit what you want to do, but at the same time hold fast to what you want and what you desire for each of us, Lord. And may we have that sensitivity of your spirit to know, Lord, where our boundaries are and what we have to do in our situation, in our community here to be effective, Lord, how we can reach people, not stumble them, and at the same time protect and watch over your saints, your sheep, Lord. We do love you. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Pray you continue to Bless our time together, Father, and may you work within our community, Father, to bring honor to you. And we do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.